Welcome to the Restoration Church Life Podcast. This resource exists to keep you informed about the various happenings inside the life of our church and equip you to apply the gospel to all areas of life that together we might delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Hello, Restoration Church. Nathan Knight here. And I'm with Joey. Say hello, hello Joey. Hello, hello. So we are continuing this Ask the Pastor series. So last time we looked at the translations of the Bible. Another question that we are sometimes asked is about flowers. Tulips. It's tulips. But it's only tulips. It's, isn't that odd that it's only tulips? Why is it not daisies or roses? We're always asked about tulips. Our pastor jokes are bad. Yeah, they're really bad. <laughs> All right, so TULIP is an acronym that was devised uh, by some Christians in the 17th century, in particular 1619. Some Christians at something that was called the Synod of Dort that was responding to a guy by the name of Jacob Arminius. And Jacob Arminius was teaching that instead of man being spiritually dead, he was teaching that man is spiritually sick. So you may think that they're not this, those are pretty much the same, but they're actually a little bit different because on the one hand, Arminius was saying that man was just kind of sick and he could choose to be healthy as much as he could choose to be sick, as it were as opposed to what the Synod of Dort said, and they said that, no, that man is spiritually dead. And so they came up with this acronym, TULIP, which we'll talk about in a second, in order to respond to that. So any clarifications, Joey? No, I mean, I think that's that's a good position. They're both saying we need Jesus to be saved. Yeah. We're both saved by grace, and so mm-hmm. uh, this is a response to that. So hashing out some theology. And that, that the term TULIP, we're doing a podcast on this because that, yeah. that term, acronym, is still used in many places and yeah. so forth. So Just, just yeah. a way to uh, help remember what, uh, uh, what these guys understood the gospel to yeah. be. It's like the word Trinity. You don't yeah. find the word Trinity in the Bible. Yeah. All it does is summarize what we believe about the character of God. Yeah. TULIP, it summarizes a doctrine of teaching. Yeah, except in this case, it's an acronym. So okay. each letter has a meaning. The first one is total depravity. Joey, what is total depravity? What are they saying total depravity is? Total depravity means that when we rebelled against God, Adam and Eve, that they every faculty was perversively affected by the fall. And therefore, man's natural inclination, apart from God's work, is to rebel against God. That is both in our nature and in our choice. Mm-hmm. And so the natural disposition of every person that ever lives is to rebel against God. We are totally depraved. Mm-hmm. So that affects everything. Yeah, and, and even whether you're the, the where you're a tulip person or you're not a tulip person but still a, someone that's confessing Christ, you're probably going to agree with this one. Yeah. By the way, should we mention that we should mention this? Tulip is also known, there's another language in which it's known, the five points of Calvinism. That's right. That's where you get it. So TULIP yeah. is five, There's, T-U-L-I-P. That's yeah. five. Uh, and so you, you can go. be a one-point Calvinist, a two-point Calvinist, a three-point, yeah. four-point, five-point. Yeah. Or some people make up their own categories and say there's seven points. Yes, yeah. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the seven. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, it, essentially to understand your need for Jesus is you have to understand that you're depraved. Yeah. and so Everybody the, would agree on Everybody agrees with that. Both sides of the argument, both sides of Christianity would agree with that. One way that the guys that wrote the T and the total depravity, just to add to what Joey just said, is they're going to look at verses like Ephesians 2 that says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So they're not sick, they're dead. Right. Good. So that's total depravity. All so right. it's total. It's not. I mean, total depravity goes down even to the molecular side. We've got scientists in our church, right? They're very aware of the molecular depravity. Yeah, and this helps when we think about things like uh, 
So people that might struggle with mental illness. Yeah. Now, we're not saying their sin caused that particular illness. It's just that everything is affected by sin. Right. Everything in the world is affected by sin. Yeah, and that's what they're so, trying to do with the T That's right. So, the tulip. Total depravity. The next one is unconditional election. Now is what we're getting a little bit spicy. We're throwing a little spices right. on the meal here. What's going on with unconditional election, Joey? Unconditional election, they would say that God chooses in his infinite gracious kindness those he is going to save unconditionally, meaning it had nothing to do with what they would or would not do. Mm-hmm. And so it's unconditional. He elected them for salvation before the foundations of the world unconditionally. Yeah. So There's nothing that somebody did in order to earn that. Otherwise, right. yeah, so look, a good verse for that would be Titus 3. Uh, verse 4 and 5, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So there we see that it's an unconditional. It's not because of anything done. We didn't merit it. And so it's unconditional. And election, of course, is another word for electing, another word for saving. Yeah. Yeah. So we have we have total depravity. We have unconditional election. When there will be some disagreement on unconditional election between folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so third is the L. Yeah. So L is really tulip. spicy. So, we put a few spices in. Now we're putting all kinds of spices on there. Right. Yes. And this is limited atonement. Nathan, yeah. what does that mean? So limited atonement would mean that Christ only died for the elect. What? I thought he died for all people. Well, that's what John 3.16 says, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so uh, someone like Jacob Arminius would want to highlight verses like that, whereas the L, the people at the synod of Dort that came up with this tulip, the L, limited atonement, they want to highlight the fact that Christ only died for the elect, the only died for those that were unconditionally elected. By the way, you should notice these are building off of each other. Right. If you are totally depraved, therefore you have to be unconditionally elected. If you're unconditionally elected, it would make sense that you have an atonement that is limited to you, since God did that in Christ. So, uh, limited atonement, again, means that it's limited to only those people. Jesus died for only those that believe. Now, one thing to note, if you're a consistent Christian, if if you believe in the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ is the only way to salvation, everybody is limited in their understanding of the atonement. That's right. Right? Yes, everybody has a limited... Well, unless you're a universalist, which at what point we would say you're not a Christian. Because yeah, you don't understand the gospel. That's right. So if you believe the uniqueness or the exclusivity of Christ, we have to say that his atonement was limited in its efficacy, yeah. not in its sufficiency. You want to explain that real quick, Nathan? Just the efficacy versus yeah. sufficiency? So when Christ died, he effected... So the Reformed position, which would be the limited atonement, Christ only died for the elect, they would say that he affected uh, the salvation of the elect there on the cross. He didn't He didn't die for the possibility, that'd be the other one, what was the word you used? Well, I'd say it's sufficient for all people, yeah, but yeah. He, he died right. not just to make salvation possible, mm-hmm. but to make it effective. That's right, to make it effective. So he affected it on the day of atonement, on the right. day when Christ died. So, for instance, a verse like this would be Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, uh, having now been justified, like it's already done, by his blood. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, they're emphasizing the L's. Only Christ died for the elect, and he purchased it there on the day 
of atonement the day that he died. He affected it then, not the possibility for it then. All right, we'll come. We'll, yeah, we might come back to some ministry considerations on all these, but for now, let's just move through. So we have yeah. T, total depravity, U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, I is irresistible grace. Yeah, irresistible grace. So this one is going to say that you cannot refuse it. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds a little odd, especially to we 21st century American people that, you know, are very individualistic in our teaching or un- understanding. So this idea of irresistible grace, people don't like this because it sounds like you can't refuse it, and they want the ability to refuse it. But the idea is less trying to say that you can't refuse it as much as it's what they're trying to say is it's so beautiful you don't want to refuse it. That's right. Once your eyes are truly open to the person, the work, the brilliance, and the beauty of Christ, what you most want to do is repent and believe. Yeah, and so it's irresistible just in the way that when you're really hungry and you yeah. you walk by somewhere, that food is irresistible. Mm-hmm. It's not coercion. It's compelling. Yeah, there you go. So like, uh, so before kind of going back to total depravity, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Well, then here, irresistible grace, verse 6, then comes to say, uh, God, who said, let light shine of darkness, has shown in our hearts, there's the unconditional election, uh, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the irresistible uh, aspect of that is, is we see the light, we look at it and say, I want that. And it's irresistible. It's like, you know, it's like being uh, being incredibly hungry and somebody puts a steak dinner in front of you. You don't want to refuse it. I want to eat that. That's right. It's not It's irresistible. not irresistible in that you're being forced to do it. It's that yeah. you desire to do it. Once That's you have right. a heart of flesh, uh, of, yeah, that God has opened your eyes, that you want to repent and believe. So. That's right. So we that brings us to the last one, to the peace. We've said mankind is totally depraved. Uh, that's what the Synod of Dord is saying about that. Uh, that is, he's to say he's totally dead. Unconditional election, because he's totally dead, he therefore cannot be elected, he cannot be saved based off of anything he's done. God has to do it for them, which then makes sense of uh, L, the limited atonement, that Christ then affects it on the cross, on the day of atonement. He brings about salvation. So therefore, when it is given to the believer, he see he or she sees it, and it's beautiful. They can't resist it. And finally then, since God is the one that affected it, that brings us to the perseverance of the saints, which is, Joey, what is that? Perseverance of the saints, quite simply put, is that if you are saved, God will keep you saved. You cannot lose your salvation. You got John 6, no one will snatch them out of my hands. You got Jude 24 and 25, that God will keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Mm -hmm. And so it's the whole idea, if we've done nothing to earn our salvation, there's nothing we can do to lose it either. Yeah, because it's all of grace. And so it started with grace, it ends with grace. Now, so another one, Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know, rhetorical question. The answer is no, it cannot be separated. And so, therefore, since God saved us, he will then keep us because he never fails. And so those that persevere, Jesus says, those who persevere to the end will be saved. So then, Joey, what about what do we do then with those? This is sort of a pastoral question at this point, but I know people are thinking this. We're not going to go through this comprehensively. But if it's true that God saves us and that he doesn't lose anybody, is it possible for someone to then lose their salvation? No, they can. It can appear as though they have. Yeah. So you have places in the Bible where people appear, they would say that they're Christians, 
but then you know they're not because they end up denying the faith. So you got First John two. Those that went out from us were not of us. Yeah, it showed that they were. So, not yeah, of so us. you can take yeah. anybody could say they're a Christian, yeah. but perseverance shows us if they truly believed. Which is why Jesus says those who persevere to the end will be saved, because their persevering is illustrating that they actually were saved by grace of by the grace of God, yeah. that they were totally depraved, unconditionally elected, affected by the atonement. Limited atonement, uh, then the drawn uh, by the spirit, drawn by the spirit, irresistible grace. grace, and then perseverance of the saints. That is what tulip means. That's what uh, these Christians that were gathering in 1619 were saying. So that's what those things mean. Now, do we have an official position on tulip? Well, do we, Joey? Not as a whole. So we don't have anything written on tulip. Our statement of faith does have an explicit written position that would correspond with total depravity, that we're sinners by nature and by choice, that our natural disposition is to rebel against God. So we have an explicit written position on total depravity, mm -hmm. and we have an explicit written position on perseverance of the saints, yep. meaning that it, God has saved us by his grace and will keep us by his grace until he brings us to see him face to face. Oh. So we do have an explicit written position on those two, the middle ones, the unconditional election, limited atonement, and irresistible grace, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have an explicit written position. Is that true? Oh, that's true, but yeah. we have very clear convictions about these things. I do think those, no matter where you fall on this whole question of Calvinism or non-Calvinism, uh, you should have very clear convictions about them. You should think about these are really critical issues. Sure. So uh, what, yeah. what, do, what role does grace play? That's really what unconditional election and limited atonement are doing. So like you should understand what that means and yeah. have your own convictions that are clearly drawn from Scripture that are consistent with the history of the church. And I, and I think it's okay to have nuances. So I know people are like, I don't like to be put in categories. I, I think that's okay mm -hmm. as long as you have your nuances. So I, the way I speak about limited atonement, and Nathan may speak about it, our nuances are going to be a little bit different, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. We're drawing convictions from Scripture. Yeah. And so I'd say while our, our elders do have similar convictions on these issues, yep. uh, there, there, there's some that we don't. Ha the whole church doesn't have to agree on everything to be in fellowship with one another. Yeah, if you're a member of this church, has an elder ever asked you, if you agree to all five points of Calvinism or the TULIP acronym, yeah. I would be hopeful that has never happened. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If it has, please come talk to us. We want to know that. Yeah. So as we think about this— But we, we do ask questions in membership interviews about the gospel, right? Oh, absolutely. Which is all the TULIP's trying to define. That's right. Yeah, that, that, that's at the center. So give, give one or two ministry implications, Nathan. Why, why do people even talk about this? Yeah, I think I think for me, I can tell you just personally how you know I am. I'm a. I would be what people would call. I don't like this language personally. I, I never refer to myself as a Calvinist, but uh, you know, I would if people listen to me talk and ask me questions, they would probably character characterize me as that. Um, but I, I just want to be clear: what some people think Calvinism is and what I believe, they, those things do not always line up. Right. And so that's why I just don't like that term. Yeah. So I just want to just tell you what the Bible teaches. Yeah. So so one ministry impl implication would be, uh, this is so encouraging to me as a preacher. So I love the fact that it is God is the one that does the saving. He unconditionally elects. Uh, and it is by his irresistible grace that he draws people in. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't persuade. We find Paul persuading in Acts chapter 17. Oh, yeah, in and other places in, as well. In other places. So I can do the persuading, 
But at the end of the day, it's so good to know that when I preach, God's going to be the one to call them out. I need to make the call. I need to be persuasive. But I can sleep well at night knowing that God is going to be the one that does the saving. And it yeah. doesn't. My whether how many people I saw prayed with to come to faith in Christ is not on me. It's on the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, in my own personal evangelism, knowing that I should clearly share the gospel, but there's nothing I'm going to be able to do to logically make them believe yeah. that this is. But I can also rest assured that if God is the one doing the saving, then He's going to save some. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about who yeah. who who I think is elect and who isn't. No, I share the gospel with everybody, everybody yeah. and God is going to draw people to Himself. Yeah, Spurgeon's got a great quote about that. A noted Calvinist who. He said, I find that, that God elects more people that the more people I share the sphere of the gospel <laughs> that's with. Right. So that's the way we should yeah. all be. Yeah. And then personally, just the perseverance of the saints, yeah. knowing that God is going to be the one who works in me to bring him bring me to himself. That's mm. a great comfort Yeah. on those days yeah, when I'm just down and weary or whatever, yeah. just being reminded this is God's work. Yeah. It's the Philippians 1.6. Yeah. He who began a good work in you will we'll bring, bring it, it to completion. completion. Yeah. Uh, the that's great right. comfort personally yeah. there. So yeah. it's not just theology pie in the sky stuff. This yeah. stuff matters when you when you sit down and think about it. And lastly, uh, lastly, total depravity. It's I'm I am just not surprised at anything that I read in the newspaper. Mm. You know, down to the worst of things. I believe that the Bible teaches total depravity. So that doesn't mean that I'm not shocked, that I'm not broken, that I'm not hurt. Of course I am. But I believe the Bible teaches that we are we are totally depraved. We are disconnected from God, and so the world is. Not as bad as it could be. That's, That's right. God's common grace. Right. Uh, but it is awfully bad, and, and which shows us our need for grace. And thanks be to God. No matter where you're at on this issue, right. if you're a five-point Calvinist, if you're a tulip-affirming person or not, we can all agree that Jesus Christ is our only hope. Amen. He is our only hope. He, we need God's grace to save us, and we need him to keep us and to bring us home. I had this conversation with my mom a gazillion times, and she is not at all in a good. She would be would like, say hello to your mom. You might be hello, listening. Hello, mom. Hello, mom. <laughs> she is not at all in agreement with all five points of the tulip, but she is definitely, as you said, like with two. And so we can agree on those two things in being perfect fellowship. And my mom, I know it will. She and I are going to get to spend eternity in heaven and glorious fellowship. So right. thank God for that. Yeah. So I say, if you've never heard of tulip before and you're confused. Love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's Believe it, the gospel. That's right. That's what matters at the end of the day. Well, yeah. beloved, we're, we're thankful for you. If you have more questions, feel free to follow up with us, one of the other elders. But it's our joy to, uh, yeah, lead you as we, as we look to Christ and drink deeply from him. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Life Podcast. May God continue to give us the grace to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Washington, D.C., and beyond.